And I have had a circumstance where one meeting was in A1 on level one, and the next meeting was in T60 in a different room, in a different building, on a different floor. And I can say a lot of running is involved and good shoes were needed. Now with virtual partnering, we can calmly sit at our computer and move from one meeting to the next with just the click of a finger and often with our thongs on. Hello and welcome to the MTV Connect podcast. I'm Caroline Jewell. Today we take you to our recent Collaboration and Skills Summit. We brought together a panel of industry experts to share their tips and experiences on how to maximise virtual partnering meetings at biotech conferences. You will hear from Dr. Nina Webster, the Managing Director and CEO of Dimerics Limited. If you're seeking new strategic partnerships for funding or collaboration, this one goes out to you. Now, let's hear from MTP Connect's Managing Director and CEO, Dr. Dan Grant, to kick it off. With COVID-19 limiting travel to major international conferences and events like the BioConvention, the MedTech Conference, BioKorea and others, moving online, partnering opportunities are now more frequently explored through virtual meetings. Today, we'll explore how to partner effectively at virtual conferences when seeking to form new partnerships or find funding or, or build collaborations. You'll hear practical advice and case studies for successful partnering from industry experts in the MTP sector. Um, we're very fortunate to have Dr. Nina Webster here, who's the Managing Director and CEO of Dimerics Limited. Dimerics Bioscience Limited is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company developing innovative new therapies in areas with unmet medical needs for global markets. Nina has almost 30 years of experience in the pharma industry with leadership roles in investor relations, business development, and the prosecution of intellectual property matters, as well as leading the strategic, scientific, and operational aspects of product development. Dimerics was awarded funding in MTP Connect's Biomedical Translation Bridge Program for development of its proprietary product DMX200 for acute respiratory distress syndrome in COVID-19 patients. The company is also developing DMX200 for two different indications. Nina, thank you for joining us. Over to you. Thank you very much, Dan. Uh, I'm very pleased to present the case study to you today on the topic of commercialization and partnering in the virtual world. You know, just uh, just coming into Australia, we have such a fantastic innovation capability here in Australia and navigating that valley of death between discovery and translating that into a, an investable and marketable product is something we can really build on. And hopefully I can share some of my experiences today on the sell side that may help your interactions in the future. Before we get into my experience with partnering both face-to-face -face and virtually, I would like to take a moment to introduce myself and Dimerics to you. And this will help put into context the type of partnering discussions I'm going to talk about during this presentation. So as Dan said, I myself have been in the industry almost 30 years and I've spent the last 15 years on the commercial side of the business, having successfully taken several products through all stages of the drug development pathway, right through to successful partnering and global commercialization. Now, for those who are not familiar with Dimerics, we are a publicly listed clinical stage company. We were formed around a platform technology which looks at the activity of drugs at the receptor level. However, Dimerics has evolved significantly over the past couple of years, and we now have three phase three clinical programs, each with near-term value propositions. Those near-term opportunities include two phase three studies in COVID-19 patients with respiratory complications across India and Europe, and one global phase three study in focal segmental glomerulosclerosis, don't say that too fast, or FSGS, which is a rare kidney disease. We also have some longer term propositions underway. 
Now, Dimerics operates under a B2B model. And for those who've not had that, heard that term before, B2B means business to business. In other words, a licensing deal or other transaction with another pharma company that brings in capabilities we don't have, such as sales and marketing. As such, Dimerics is actively engaged with potential licensing partners as we progress our programs with the aim to provide the best outcomes for the patients as well as our shareholders. So whether it's face-to-face -face or online partner engagement, uh, much as Colin said a moment ago, some things don't change. So before Dimerics embarks on any partnering exercise, it is critical that the business development plan and partnering plan are fully developed and that the business case that we originally evaluated and ultimately recommended the project at the start of development is fully up to date, particularly the competitor analysis and the asset valuation. Now, the business case is a relatively fluid document because the environment can constantly change. So we do update that business case on a regular basis. And this helps drive the type of partnering discussions based on who brings what to the table and at what cost. Note that we always evaluate the opportunity from both our perspective as well as the potential partner perspective because it has to be a win for both parties. The business development plan and the partnering plan outline they both outline what materials need to be in place and at what stage of the discussions and the timetable associated with that. Now, Dimerics essentially has five key objectives for the partnering process. And I think some of these are even more relevant using the totally online forum. The first objective is to maximize value. It's pretty obvious. Now here, there's always a balance between risk and reward. So we can license at an earlier stage of development for a lower financial reward and let the partner take the risk and the cost of remaining development, or we can complete the development at our cost and risk and take a much higher reward. Every project has to be assessed in its own right based on the development cost, time, and of course the complexity. The second objective is to control the entire process as much as possible. Driving the timetable, the process, the interactions and the deadlines puts us in a better position to control some of those sub subsequent negotiations. The third objective is to maximize the number of possible partners as typically the highest value is achieved when there's more than one interested party. The fourth objective is to manage the information sharing process. And this is from two perspectives. The first part is confidentiality, ensuring provisions are in place to govern those discussions. And the second part is ensuring we have a way of sharing confidential information with potential partners without them physically coming to Melbourne to evaluate the product. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. The fifth objective is to establish competitive tension wherever possible. And this obviously comes with having multiple partners involved in the process, but is also reinforced by things like sticking to a timeline or using language to emphasize the competitive nature of the process. Partnering at Bio or JP Morgan or the like, if you've ever been in person, it can be quite a zoo and it can be quite overwhelming the first time. Uh, as has been mentioned earlier, meetings are usually every 30 minutes. They start around 8 a.m. and they typically run to about 5 or 5.30 p.m. And that means you can schedule up to 20 meetings per day on three consecutive days. Now that is a lot of meetings. And I can say from experience, I do not recommend up filling up every meeting slot. The upside to virtual partnering is that we don't have these long flights to contend with getting there and we don't have to run between meeting booths to get to the next meeting. Again, for those who've not been in person to one of these event events, if you can visualize multiple rows of meeting booths labeled A to Z and each row having about 40 booths, a meeting booth is a, a little room with four chairs and a table and there's a curtain across the door. 
There are often two or three arenas of these booth setups, each the size of a warehouse. And I have had a circumstance where one meeting was in booth A1 on level one, and the next meeting was in T60 in a different room, in a different building, on a different floor. And I can say a lot of running is involved and good shoes were needed. Now with virtual partnering, we can calmly sit at our computer and move from one meeting to the next with just the click of a finger and often with our thongs on. The downside is that often our meetings will finish with only two minutes until the next meeting. Where you have multiple meetings, one after another after another, without getting up and walking between them, what can happen is they start to merge into each other. And I have had a circumstance where I'm in the middle of a slide and I say, as I mentioned before, or was that the last meeting? I, I can't recall. It's just something to be aware of with multiple meetings back to back. The great thing about those big meets was that most of the potential partners we'd want to speak with would be there. And as I've been around the houses a few times, I typically know exactly who I wanted to talk with. And having them all in one place was a big advantage when it was face to face. Now that's not necessarily the case in a virtual forum. As I have their details, I can usually contact them at any time. However, when first embarking on a partnering mission, these forums are ideal as it can provide the first opportunity to collect contact details. So coming back to my earlier point, book the most important slots first. When a meeting is going really well and we both didn't have a meeting immediately following, it wasn't unusual to continue a discussion over a coffee face to face. However, that's obviously not possible on an online forum and the meetings are usually held strictly to that 30 minutes. So that does provide relatively limited ability to continue those productive discussions. As such, it's really important to keep an eye on the time and make sure you've agreed to the follow-up actions prior to concluding the call. Notwithstanding what I've just said, it can be very hard to build a relationship online. And for a transaction to be successful, we need to have what's called, uh, what I call a champion within the, the partner company. And that is somebody who's on the other side who believes in our opportunity and will help push to get that deal done. So it is important to get some rapport. One-on-one -on -one partnering sessions online can be a blur. So I often try to have a little bit of that small talk at the start of the meeting, albeit keeping it short, just something that they can remember us by and we stand out. And finally, I think, yes, it is usually some really ridiculous time here in Australia, typically in the middle of the night. So aside from having plenty of drink, drinks and snacks to hand, one mistake I try and avoid is running an Australian day on top of the overseas conference. And yes, again, I've made that mistake. These conferences can go over several days and because we're at home, it is easy for others to assume we're available as usual. And that goes for colleagues as well as children. So block out your calendar for some sleep time. So coming back to those all important meeting slots and, and who to meet with, and this comes down to our strategy for the partnering conference, whether we're there to out-license or in-license, find a service provider or even offer a service. We need to be very clear on that before we start booking meetings because at every single partner, partnering event, I've been inundated with meeting requests and it's very easy to try and accept those. So again, I only stick to the predetermined strategy and try to only book the meetings I really want and then meet the criteria. I have discussions with a wide range of companies from the global big pharma companies to mid-tier and more specialty pharma companies. And their interest in us comes from many different forms, could be global interest, interest restricted to a particular region, right down to country specific interest, such as US or Japan or Korea. 
But clearly for many life science companies, the simplest outcome is to get a single global deal for one product, one partner, one brand name, no issues in multiple supply arrangements, et cetera. However, that in reality really limits our partnering options. So even big pharma have regional or country specific licensing approaches. Equally, company capability can vary considerably. For example, are they present in the therapeutic area you're looking for? Do they have complementary products or call on the required target doctors? Or is this a new area for them that they are intending to build the capability? If the company you're talking to has to further sub-license to achieve the end result, it's possible they may not be the right partner. So sticking to the strategy will also help with one of the other problems I identified earlier, uh, not taking more than two or three meetings in a row uh, before having a break. So what communication materials do we use? Like most companies, we start with a non-confidential presentation. Dimerics has multiple programs under development, and it is really important that I identify which asset is of interest to the potential partner. For example, there is absolutely no point my presenting a kidney asset to a respiratory company. That said, I have known many instances where I've needed to switch tack halfway through the meeting because I realized that the potential partner is actually switching their pipeline strategy so is no longer looking for asset A, but is now looking for asset B. So listening to them is really important. I typically would start a meeting by asking them to introduce themselves and what they're looking for before beginning my pitch. Next is the non-confidential fact sheet for each opportunity. Now we may use this in our initial discussions, trying to get people interested in progressing to a confidentiality agreement. And it's often this that we send within 48 hours of the meeting. This response time is even easier to achieve without those complications of international travel. Once we have a CDA in place, we can provide detailed, a detailed information memorandum, which is a comprehensive package on the opportunity, includes information on the product, the market opportunity, market research, development status, path to uh, uh, market and the IP, and most importantly, the process that we're running. And at, under what conditions will they be allowed to complete the full due diligence? Now, really importantly, it does not include our own financial valuation of the opportunity because what we think the deal is worth is highly sensitive information. By far the most important tool we use, particularly in this virtual world, is the electronic data room. We use a local provider for this called Ansarada. This is a platform that allows us to upload documents and control the access on the other end. So it enables the partner to go through all of our information without actually having to come to Melbourne. So this is particularly relevant with uh, the online forums that we get into at the moment. We usually set a no print, no download. We have every document watermarked with the email address of the person viewing the documents. So it also prevents the screenshots and sharing. With this tool, we can also see who opens what document, how long they viewed it for, and there's a Q&A function. So importantly, we have all of these things in place before we start on that partnering exercise, we're ready to move to the next step. Uh, as I mentioned previously, um, I share non-confidential presentation during the meeting. And I've also mentioned that it can be really difficult to build a relationship online. What I really wanted to bring your attention to is what the partner sees. If I share our presentation for the whole of the meeting, the partner doesn't really see much of me, particularly when there's several people online. So I'm not gonna be memorable in this case. So yes, while absolutely the presentation is a key tool for the meeting, I try not to leave it up there for the whole meeting and try to use it wisely. They need to be able to see me and my body language. 
and I need to see their body language. So now I've got my meeting and now I need to do my real homework. I also use online media to research. Once I know who I'm meeting, I use their website and their LinkedIn profile to assess the person I'm meeting with. Do they have a background in science? This is really important to know, so I adjust my language to sort suit the audience. Often at the big partnering conferences, big companies have teams of their BD department present. And many years ago, at one of the first conferences I went to, I met with the BD representative for oncology to present a respiratory opportunity. Now that is a really hard sell. And whilst it is their job to ultimately take back interesting opportunities, it is clear that they're not going to be your champion that I, I spoke about earlier. Likewise, are you meeting with the lead scientist? This often leads into an information loop and it can be very hard to get out of as they're not usually the decision maker. Now you don't usually get a choice in who you're meeting with from the other company, but it's something to be aware of because you can use that meeting effectively to get the introduction to the right person. And finally, what questions are being asked? The attitude is much harder to read online. So again, coming back to making sure you don't screen share the whole time and you can see them as much as you, as you can. Just to summarize, Dimerix has multiple assets in uh, multiple uh, areas at the moment, and they all have high unmet need uh, with a potential fast pathway to market. Now we operate under a B2B model and ultimately our goals are to move the projects through clinical trials uh, and into uh, partnerships and licensing deals, ultimately through uh, commercial su success through milestones and royalties. Importantly, prior to entering any partnering campaign, we have a very clear business plan. We have a very clear asset proposition that details all the pieces of the puzzle outlined in this slide with a clear line of sight right through to new drug application or NDA. So as much as 2020 was a big year for Dimerics, 2021 is shaping up to be even bigger for the near-term opportunity for two phase three studies in uh, respiratory complications associated with COVID-19, which we expect to uh, read out middle of 2021. That was Dr. Nina Webster, Managing Director and CEO of Dimerics Limited, sharing her experiences and tips for successful virtual partnering meetings. And in the coming weeks, we will have more real-world industry insights to share with you on this hot topic. This has been the MTP Connect podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating, leave us a review, and subscribe to hear more great stories from the MTP sector. You can find our podcast on all the usual podcast platforms. Until next time.